Welcome to the Valleybrook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a message from our current study, Bless. The Bless practices were created as a simple tool to help you bring the love of God to others. To watch any of our previous messages or find all listening platforms, we encourage you to visit www.valleybrook.cc forward slash on demand. Enjoy! Well, good morning, everyone, and buenos dias. Uh, If we haven't met, my name is Harrison, and I have the pleasure of serving on the elder board here at Valleybrook. And I'm just so excited to be here with all of you this morning as we continue our series with Bless, which is based on the book by John and Dave Ferguson. Well, at the beginning of my freshman year of college, uh, it was the first time that I had ever moved to live in a place that was outside of my parents' home, and it was the first time that I went to a place where I didn't really know anyone. All of my high school friends had gone off to different schools than I had, so I kind of had the opportunity and a little bit of the anxiety of a fresh start in college. Well, when I moved into my dorm room, one of the first people that I met was my roommate, and his name was Dylan. And if you've ever decided to live with someone that you've never really gotten to know before, there's this mental game of chess that goes on when you first meet face-to-face, where you're trying to figure out, is this person going to be like my best friend or my worst enemy? And it's especially uh, true when you're living in a room that's essentially the size of a walk-in closet for an entire year. Well... Thankfully, Dylan was a pretty awesome guy, and we hit it off pretty quickly, and he became my first college friend. So naturally, when lunchtime or dinnertime rolled around in those early days, uh, we would go to the dining hall together. We called it D-Hall for short. And the two of us would sit there and eat, and looking around, we would notice that we weren't the only ones with this strategy. There were other pairs of people who were probably also roommates sitting by themselves, around the D-Hall, and that was just the way it was, because that's who we knew. Well, that quickly began to change, because as Dylan and I went to our different classes and extracurricular activities, we would meet new people and invite them to join us in D-Hall for lunch or for dinner, and those people would bring their roommates to join us, and those people had friends. So very quickly, we grew from two guys sitting at a four-top table to filling up an eight-top table, to cramming 10 or 12 people in one of the round booths in the corner. And then some days, we had to pull one of the eight-top tables over to the round booth in the corner just so that we could fit everyone who was showing up at mealtime. We had all figured out when the exact break was in between classes where we could all show up to lunch and dinner at the same time. And as you can imagine, Those meals were a little bit hectic on some days, uh, but I just cherish some of the memories that we made sitting around those tables and sharing meals together. You know, we were all new to the college experience, and so we were sharing, you know, both our stresses and our sorrows, our laughs and our stories, and our hopes and our dreams with one another. And many of those people would become some of my closest friends in those formative years of my life. Especially one person in particular, the uh, beautiful English major who I would go on to marry a few years later. There's something powerful about eating with someone else. It's almost as if that relationship is being nurtured just as much as our bodies are in that moment. 
And studies have picked up on this too. One study on firehouses in a large city uh, has found that cooperative behavior between firefighters was twice as high than those who ate separately. Last year, the American Heart Association reported that 91% of parents notice that their family is less stressed after they share a meal together. And research also suggests that when people eat together, we are more likely to share a sense of security, belonging, and interconnectedness between one another, and we're more likely to feel better about ourselves. But even with all of these benefits, the practice of eating together is becoming somewhat of a lost art. You know, in this present age of digital connection and productivity, the amount of intentional time we spend eating with someone else seems to decrease as our busyness tends to increase. Honestly, on some days, I feel like I'm one of those people in a speed eating competition, and while I can't eat 76 hot dogs in 10 minutes, which is the actual record, by the way, uh, I can definitely make a PB&J sandwich and eat it, eat it in like less than five. Um, and sometimes I have to do that. Collectively, we've gotten just as good at multitasking while eating. One study found that 62% of professionals reported that they typically eat lunch at their desks. Arthur Michael Pollan estimates that 19% of all American meals are eaten in a car. And in another survey, 29% of US adults reported that they often have no choice but to eat their meals on the go. I'm guessing that's probably why fast food is designed to be eaten with one hand. And even when we have time to sit at home and enjoy a meal, we still bring multitasking into the picture. One 2013 survey says that 60% of all meals are eaten at home are in front of a TV. And I imagine that number has only gone up since that time, and with the introduction of cell phones and computer screens and Netflix and all the other streaming services, that number has probably just gone up quite a bit. With all of the busyness and distractions around us, it's become rarer for us to take the time to gather around a meal and get to know other people and be present with them. Well, today we are continuing our series, as I mentioned, called Bless, which is all about the ordinary ways that we can authentically love the people that God has put in our proximity. Now, each week we've been talking about one of the blessed practices, and bless is an acronym. So first we talked about beginning with prayer, and last week we talked about how we can love our neighbor by listening to them. Well, today we'll be talking about the E in bless, which if you haven't guessed yet, stands for eat, and uh, we get the opportunity to really look at what it looks like to be intentional about who we eat with and how we approach eating with them. Now, as I was pre preparing for this message, I shared it with a little bit with my life group, and one guy in my life group suggested that Pastor Clark and I do a live demonstration here on stage where we set a table and have a meal here in front of you all. And as I thought about it, I was like, man, that's just mean. You've got a bunch of people who are stuck between breakfast and lunch, watching two people eat, and to make matters worse, you're listening to the amplified sound of their chewing. So instead of that plan, you're welcome, by the way, I thought we could all open the scriptures together and look at how Jesus ate with people during his ministry. In the book of Matthew, we read that the Son of Man came eating and drinking, 
And we see Jesus live this out in many recorded events throughout his time at earth. Today we'll look at three of those events, a three-course meal, if you will, and we'll see what we can learn from Jesus' example. And don't worry, as Pastor Clark mentioned, we will be having an actual potluck meal after uh, I'm done talking today. So at the conclusion of our gathering, I encourage you all to uh, come to that. And if all this talk about eating is making you hungry, don't worry, real food is on the way. Well, for our first metaphorical course of scripture, we'll open up to the book of Matthew in chapter 9. Now, the book of Matthew was written by a guy named Matthew, which is pretty easy to remember. And Matthew was one of Jesus' disciples. And so he followed Jesus around and recorded many of the events of Jesus' ministry and, and put them into one book for us. But the story that we'll read in chapter 9 is especially personal for Matthew because this was the story of when Jesus called him. We start reading in verse 9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. This was Matthew's moment. I can imagine the smile on his face as he was writing this all down and uh, just recollecting the fact the time when Jesus asked him to join him for dinner. But it's interesting to note the details that Matthew includes in his recollection. It was no secret that at the time, tax collectors were considered to be the lowest of the low on the social pecking order. A Jewish tax collector like Matthew was literally hired to take money from his fellow Jewish people and give it to the Roman occupiers who were, uh, who were kind of ruling over Israel at the time. And they were known to often put fees on top of the taxes that they were ordered to collect so that they can get rich themselves. So not a great look. And with that kind of reputation, Matthew could have easily left out his job description when he was writing the story of when Jesus called him. He could have easily said, Matthew was sitting around when Jesus came up and asked him to follow him. But he specifically says that he was in his tax collecting booth. And then he goes on to say that at the dinner that he had with Jesus, a bunch of his tax collector and sinner friends, those were the words he used, joined them for dinner. I would think that when Matthew wrote his account, which in a lot of ways we recognize was written for a Jewish audience, he would have left those details out. I mean, the Jewish leaders at the time certainly thought this was odd uh, because in verse 11 we read, when the Pharisees saw this, they asked Jesus' disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But listen to what Jesus says in response. On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. See, Matthew wasn't afraid of being accepted by his readers because he was already accepted by someone greater. Jesus the long-awaited Messiah had invited him to dinner. 
And it was at the expense of Jesus' own reputation. By doing this, Jesus declared to the world and to Matthew himself that he was loved, accepted, and valued, regardless of his past. And I think this is the first great lesson that we can learn with Jesus when it comes to eating with people. Jesus was willing to sacrifice his own reputation so that someone else could receive an invitation. There are people all around us who are the first to be ignored and the last to be included. There's the kid that no one sits with at the lunch table or the grumpy neighbor across the street the person at work who's just a little bit too quiet or just a little bit too loud or the person who everyone knows has skeletons in the closet. I'm sure all of us can think of someone who's just too awkward, too uncomfortable, too different from us to really want to share a meal with them. But here's the thing. Those were the people that Jesus sought out to eat with not because they could benefit his status in any way, but because he knew it would bless them for them to be invited to his table. So what would it look like if we loved people in our proximity who are the marginalized by inviting them to lunch or dinner? I bet we'd be surprised by just how much God would change our perceptions about other people and how much we could bring his joy to someone's life if we did. So as we wrap up our first course together, we see that Jesus has demonstrated the who of what, who should we should invite to share an intentional meal together. So now as we move into our second course, we'll get a glimpse of the what. What should we bring to our meals? And so for the second course, we'll fast forward a little bit into Jesus' ministry. As he continued to perform miracles and teach people, he would get quite a crowd as more and more of uh, people would hear his teaching and would follow him wherever he went. And this was great for spreading the message, but not so great for privacy and downtime for Jesus and his disciples. So when they received the devastating news that their good friend John the Baptist had been beheaded, um, you know, they decided, Jesus decided, to take his closest disciples to come with him to a quiet place and get some rest. We pick up the story of what happens next in Mark chapter six, verse 32. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. So despite their best efforts, Jesus and his disciples couldn't get away from the crowd. But I love how Jesus responds in this situation. He could have tried to send them away or they could have gotten back on the boat and tried to isolate themselves in the middle of the water offshore. But he loves lost people so much that he embraces them and begins to teach them. The disciples, on the other hand, uh, were not quite so compassionate. Because in verse 35, we read that by this time, it was late in the day. So Jesus' disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said. And it's already very late. 
Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But Jesus answers, you give them something to eat. And the disciples said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? Now, I think we can tell that the disciples are a little bit hangry here. And personally, I can't blame them. One of their closest friends just died, and this was supposed to be their day off, just time to spend with Jesus and one another and take a break from all of the ministry work. But instead, this huge crowd finds them anyway, and Jesus starts to teach them. And I'm sure when Jesus asked, or, uh, yeah, when Jesus asked them to feed the crowds and they said, well, there's nothing around here. Maybe they need some food. Uh, you know, the disciples were really thinking, send them away so we can eat some food and, and get more of a break here. Of course, Jesus sees right through their fake compassion, so they decide to appeal to his logic instead and throw out the excuse of, hey, we, we don't have enough money to feed all of these people who are showing up. And I don't know about you, but when it comes to my life and eating with other people, some of these excuses um, sound kind of familiar. There's been many a time when I'm like, God's put someone on my heart, and he said, hey, you should reach out and grab a meal with this person. And I'm like, God, it's been such a tough week. I just, I just need some me time, some time to chill. Or, you know, I don't have any food in my pantry, and I don't really know how to cook anyway. Uh, or I don't have enough money in my eating out budget to really go meet somebody at this time. Or sometimes I just kind of assume, oh, they don't want to hang out with me. They wouldn't want to spend time with me at a meal. Sometimes we do exaggerate these excuses, but sometimes I think we genuinely don't have enough time or energy or money or food uh, in, in order to actually do this well. And I believe that the disciples genuinely didn't have enough money to feed the thousands of people that were showing up that day to hear Jesus teach. But the question Jesus asks next is surprising, but absolutely critical. He asks them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. It's a pretty simple question. Jesus asks, what do you have? And I'm sure the disciples are like, oh, well, it'll take $20,000 to feed all these people, and there aren't even any good restaurants around here anyway. And Jesus says, hey, hey, I'm not asking about what you don't have. I'm asking, what do you have? They said, well, Jesus, we, we only have five loaves and two fish. What good can we do with that? He says, bring them to me, and I'll show you. Verse 39. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who had eaten was 5,000. Jesus is the multiplier of our meager meals. No matter how little food or money or time or energy we have, Jesus only cares about the answer to one question. He says, what do you have? Maybe you say, Jesus, 
all I can provide is peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, or all I can afford is to go out to fast food to eat with somebody. He says, that's okay. I can work with that. Or sometimes we'll say, Jesus, I only have like 30 minutes to spare early in the morning if I'm going to meet my coworker for breakfast. Jesus says, I, I'll be there. Or sometimes we say, Jesus, my, my house is so small and it's always a mess. My neighbor wouldn't want to come here to eat. Jesus says, invite them anyway and I'll take care of the rest. Or sometimes we say, Jesus, I've got all the supplies, but what if it's awkward? What if I don't know what to say and it's just kind of weird? Jesus says, I'm the God of more than you can ask or imagine, and I'll be right there with you. When he fed the 5,000, Jesus showed us just how much he can do with what little we have. If we're willing to trust him over our excuses, then he can make a miracle out of any meal. So in our first course, Jesus helped us set the guest list. He said, invite the sick, the sinners, and the rejects. In our second course, Jesus helps us set the menu. He says, bring whatever you have. And for our third and final course today, we'll discover the purpose behind blessing others through the practice of eating with them, the why behind the meal. To uncover this, we'll look at what may have been one of the most important meals in Jesus' ministry and arguably one of the most famous. We join Jesus and his disciples at the table in Luke 22, verse 14. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. This meal would become famously known as the Last Supper because this was the last meal that Jesus would share with his disciples before he was arrested and crucified. And as Jesus broke the news, I could just imagine the stunned silence in the room as what started as celebration quickly turned into devastation. Now, Jesus had hinted at his upcoming death a few times before, but this was the first time that he really laid it out for his disciples what his ultimate reason was for coming to earth. And he describes this to us in verse 19, where we read, And he took the bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. I appreciate how N.T. Wright describes the scene. He says, when Jesus himself wanted to explain to his disciples what his forthcoming death was all about, he didn't give them a theory, gave them a meal. I love that in his final moments on earth, Jesus brought his closest friends together to have dinner with them. But the meal that Jesus gave his disciples that night was way more than just what was set on the table. Through the bread and the cup, he would provide a permanent reminder 
for all of us of the ultimate price he paid on our behalf. On the cross, his body was broken and his blood was poured out for the forgiveness of the sins of his disciples, for you and for me. We were created to be in relationship with God, but because of our sin, we're separated from him. And we have this hunger to be redeemed, this this thirst to be reconciled with him. This is the longing of our hearts. And Jesus is the only one who can satisfy our deepest hunger. He did come to earth to eat with us and to teach us, but ultimately he came to pay the price that we never could so that we could become whole again. And this is why Jesus himself says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. For those of us who have tasted this wonderful saving grace of Jesus, you know this is the greatest blessing that anyone could ever experience. And this is why we seek to bless other people. We begin with prayer. We listen to our neighbors. We invite people to eat with us. We seek to serve others and we share our story so that others can taste the beautiful saving grace of Jesus as well and be filled with freedom from sin and shame. We love others because Jesus first loved us and we get to be conduits of his love to the people that God has put in our proximity who need his grace just as much as we do. And it's not just what Jesus saves us from, that is so incredible, but also what he saves us for. Jesus wiped the slate clean with the cross, but he also defeated death when he rose again from the grave. And where the Last Supper marks the beginning of our story of redemption, Jesus is preparing an everlasting supper for all of us who believe in him. And that everlasting supper will be like, unlike anything we've ever imagined. His earthly ministry is just an appetizer of what is to come. We get a glimpse of this in the book of Isaiah where we read that on this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. And in that day they will say, surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. This will be a feast without a trace of sorrow or mourning, of anxiety or fear. It'll be filled with the best food and the best drinks. And all around the table will be people from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. And best of all, we will be there in the presence of Jesus, the lamb who was slain, 
bread of life himself. He's the one who came to call the tax collectors and the sinners. He gave up his earthly reputation so that we may have an invitation. He was the one who had compassion on the sheep without a shepherd. And he multiplies the most meager of meals so that we can be part of his story. And he poured out his blood for us and his body was broken for the forgiveness of our sins so that he could satisfy the deepest hunger of our hearts. In the great feast of heaven, we will get to be with him forever and ever. So I think the question in front of us, for those of us who have been transformed by Jesus is, who will you invite to the everlasting supper? Who's the person or people that God is putting on your heart right now? Someone who is, he has put in your proximity who might need to hear of the invitation to the great feast of heaven. Now, if God is putting someone on your heart in this moment, I encourage you not to let that slip away as we go out from this place today, but I encourage you to extend an invitation to them to eat with you. You know, if you need a good excuse, the Super Bowl is right around the corner, and that's one of the easiest events that, to invite somebody to join you for a meal around. Um, and we've heard that there's a ministry called He Gets Us, which is actually running a couple Super Bowl ads about Jesus, which can serve as really great conversation starters, uh, where you have an opportunity to listen to somebody else's story and hopefully the opportunity to share your story as well while you eat. And yes, inviting people to eat can be awkward at first. You may need to sacrifice a bit of your own reputation just so that someone else could have an invitation. You may not have the best food or the best house or really enough time or energy, but God just asks us to bring us, bring what we have and he'll bless the rest. And ultimately, we must remember that it, it all is about Jesus because he alone can satisfy our deepest need and that we are called to demonstrate his grace, truth, and sacrificial love for those around us. And that's what bless is all about. And one day, when we are seated at the eternal feast of God, we'll look around and see all the people that he has brought to the table around us. And yes, we'll see the people who God used to have a hand in our own story to bring us to know Jesus. And it is my hope and prayer for each one of us today that when we look around that table, we'll also see the people that God used in us to bless here on earth so that they could know the loving sacrifice of Jesus and dine with him forever. Well, I'd love to pray for all of us uh, you know, that God would open our hearts to using us to bless others. But I want to recognize that there may be someone listening who you're still just trying to figure this whole Jesus thing out. That's okay. And we're just so glad that you're here today. But if, if God is stirring something in your heart, now I want you to know that that invitation from Jesus is for you today. And that in this moment, you can leave this place knowing that you have a place at his table. 
all you have to do is accept what Jesus did on your behalf and embrace him and follow him with your life. If that's you, I would love to just start by praying with you. I can give you some words to pray with me. Um, The words themselves aren't special. What matters is that it comes from your heart. But in this moment, I'd like to invite everyone to bow your heads and close your eyes. And for that person who might be feeling today that today is your day to accept what Jesus has done for you, I encourage you to pray these words. Say, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you died for my sins. And I believe that you rose again. And now I commit my life to following you. Jesus, we say amen to that prayer. And Father, for all of us gathered in this place, listening online, we're just so, so grateful that you loved us so much that you sent Jesus here on earth to show us what it looks like to love other people and to love you. But God, you didn't stop there. Jesus, you went to the cross. Your body was broken and your love was poured out for our sins. And because of you, we can be forgiven. And because of you, we can enjoy your presence forever. So God, out of that place of gratitude, out of our posture in front of the cross, Lord, I just pray your Holy Spirit fills us as we move from this place today, that we may have the courage and the love of Jesus to invite other people to eat with us to see them as you see them, as people created in your image, God, who need your love and grace just as much as we do. Holy Spirit, move in this place, move in our hearts, and multiply most meager of our meals. Thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing. It's in your name we pray. Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc.